Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. We're only 13 verses in, and already the capital is buzzing about what is taking place. The rumor mill is spinning wildly. We're less than a third of the way into chapter one, and already an entire nation is focused on on the rumors, the the, the allegations. There's so many witnesses, and and they're questioning people, and and they're questioning, saying, so you were actually there? Did Did you actually see it? The one... John the Baptist, the one that was out in the wilderness of Judea, the one that's calling people out saying, look, don't claim to be a good Jew, thinking that that's going to get you into heaven. Don't simply claim to be a Christian, because there has to be repentance that goes with it. And the crowds are coming out, and they're they're listening to John, and and everybody's wondering, "Is, is this it? Is this the guy that we've been waiting for? 400 years of of silence since Malachi, the last book written in the Old Testament. Is this the one that was to follow, the one that we're supposed to follow? And John is making it very clear. No, I'm not the one. But there is one that's going to come after me, and I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. And then in that region outside of Jerusalem, Jesus comes from Nazareth. And John baptizes him in the Jordan River at Jesus' insistence. And heaven splits and something like a dove comes down and says, this is my son. With him, I am well pleased. And John's preaching now has authority from heaven. Well, the capital is is bewildered. The capital is, is buzzing. The nation of Israel, waiting on promises all the way to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, that one day, one day the Jews would see Messiah. Is this the time? And over the last 40 days, no one can find him. Over the last 40 days, he just seems to have disappeared. He seems to have vanished. And if you were here last week, you understand as we looked at last week, we saw that in the last 40 days, he's been out in the wilderness. He's been tempted by Satan. Satan has said, use your powers for your own good. Whatever the plan is, son of God, why don't you shortcut it right now? You can have popularity, you can have the world, you can have the kingdoms, you can have it all. Just bow down, just do what I say. Satan doesn't know what the plan is, but he's scared to death that this man the Son of God, is about to do something that's going to shake his kingdom. And now we come to verse 14. With a nation that is, that is questioning, with a nation that is searching, we have the very first words written in red. We're, we're looking at Mark, the first gospel, Mark, whose, whose primary source was the apostle Peter, 
And we're looking at the first written story of Jesus, studying scripture, studying the places, studying the culture, to consider who was this guy? Is he man or is he God? Is he both? And before we look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14, these words, just let me welcome those that are listening this morning on, on podcast or, or on the internet. We thank you for listening today. And we hope to see you in Sky Valley sometime soon. And, and those of you that are here that didn't catch the first couple uh, messages in this series, you can pick them up online. If you don't know how to do that, just let us know and we'll help you out. So verse 14, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into the Galilee proclaiming the good news. There's that word again. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The good news, the euangelion, proclaiming the good news of God. Let me remind you, two weeks ago, we jumped into this book. We, we hit verse 1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, John wrote. Now Jesus is going to further explain it. He's going to say, what is this good news that we've been waiting for? The first words written in red. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news news. That's it. That's all he puts. And we may ask Mark, well, 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 wait a minute, Mark, that's where you start? You've seen the life of Jesus. You've seen the miracles, his teaching. You understand the cross. You understand the empty tomb. Peter walked with him for 40 days after he rose from the dead. This is Peter's teaching memoirs. Mark is there, Silas is probably there, this group of followers, and, and you're going to write down to let the world know who this Jesus is, and, and that's where you start? Couldn't you pick a better place? Something like, it was a dark and stormy night. Flashes of lightning cracked across the sky. The winds came absolutely out of nowhere. The tiny ship was being rocked. Water was coming in. Seasoned fishermen that had spent decades of their life on this lake were screaming for help, and a lone, solitary figure stood in the bow. He doesn't look at the men. He looks nature straight in the eye, and he says simply, be still, and the wind and the waves get calm. That'd be a great place to start. That'd really grab their attention. Or you could have the compassionate side of Jesus. You could start with the, the dust still hangs in the air from the number of men that have come, each one carrying a rather large rock in his hand. A woman who has been caught in the very act of adultery. There's no excuses for this one. And they throw her down in front of the crowd, and he stoops down, and he starts writing in the dust on the ground. And one by one, you hear the rocks hit the dirt. And you hear the men shuffling off to leave. And I wonder if he was writing the sins of each man until there's no one left but him and her. And he forgives her and he frees her. Well, that's a good story. Mark could have started there. When Mark puts us together under the, the superintending work of the Holy Spirit, he writes, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. He picks up exactly where he started back in verse 1. He's trying to link this together. 
He says, I don't want to give you another fascinating story right away. I don't want you to get caught up in the miracles of the work and the power. I want you to get the message. The time has come for good news. Whatever it is that keeps you awake at night, whatever it is that keeps you doubting, whatever it is that keeps you questioning about life and relationships and purpose and significance and destiny, he says, let me wrap it all up in this. This is good news. And Jesus will go a step further. He says, this is about the kingdom of God, and it's near. The kingdom of God, it's, it's a phrase that's used a hundred times in the New Testament. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, synonymous there. Matthew will use the kingdom of heaven 32 times. Every other writer, the other three gospel writers, they say the kingdom of God, and they use it 68 times, so 100 times altogether in total. You're going to find this phrase throughout the pages of the four gospels. Let me tell you the good news. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's here. It's time. And to grasp that first words that we see in red in the gospel of Mark, I want you to write this down in your life notes. The kingdom of God is both present and future. The kingdom of God is both present and future. It's not just a, a place that one day we'll get to. It's also a now. Jesus doesn't say, hey, the kingdom of heaven's gonna come in after you're dead and gone in a few thousand years and after the earth ends, there's gonna be this thing called heaven. No. He says the kingdom of God is near. And I put some bullet points beneath that there. And yes, I'm saying the same thing in different ways. Some people like me sometimes need to hear things different ways to, to understand them. It is a now and a later. A now and a later. When we start going through hearing the kingdom of God is near, it's a present and a future. It's a now and it also comes later. Or you could write it this way. It's both a position and a place. It's a position and and it's also a place. It's where we are, those of us who have, who have become Jesus followers, those of us who have, who have given our lives, who have, who have come under the lordship, the kingship of Jesus, which we're going to talk about more in detail this morning, those of us that are they're there, it's, it's, it's where we are now in Christ, but it's also where we will one day be with Christ. It's my position as a, as a disciple, as a follower, it's a place where when I'm done with this earthly shell of a body, my soul, my spirit, I'm forever in the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. It's both. Let me explain it again this way. If the king's rule and a king's reign determine his kingdom. A king's rule and a king's reign determine his kingdom. You know, it's lost a bit on us here in Western culture and in and, and our you know, Western democracy type of government, but they would understand it back then, especially being under the Roman Empire. They understood what it meant to be subjects of a kingdom. A kingdom's rule goes as far as the king's rule and reign goes. And then you bump into somebody else's rule and somebody else's reign, and they have another kingdom. And then you've got to decide whether to let them be or, or, or try to conquer that kingdom. And your rule and your reign expands. And the Romans were very good at that. Mark's writing and Jesus' teaching is pretty simple. 
Let me tell you the good news for your life. Let me tell you when things are going to change for you. Not when you call yourself a Christian or put a fish on the back of your car. It's going to change when you're completely under the rule and the reign of Christ. You're going to have a choice where you're going to have your citizenship. Do you want to be in the kingdom of Christ or remain in your own little kingdom? Do you want to be in the kingdom of you or do you want to follow the good news? It's near. All it takes is to repent and believe and then you're in the kingdom of Christ under his rule, under his reign. And Mark says, I could start with miracles. I could could start with stories. I could start with casting out demons or calming storms. But I want you to understand the good news that I started my book with in verse 1. You can be in the kingdom of God now and not just later. You don't have to wait. It's not just one day when I get to heaven. It's now. It's wherever your kingdom decides to end and you decide to be in his kingdom. And Jesus stands and he says, I'm offering this to you. And you may ask, well, how do I get in? Well, I'm glad you ask. Because Mark gives a great example, we're invited into it, and he gives a great example, incredible example of how right here next in his gospel. Look at verse 16 there. It says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So what's going on here? Well, if you were to go and read John chapter 1, you'll realize that these guys have heard some of this teaching for, for quite a while now. Jesus is not unfamiliar to them. He's very familiar. You have to understand how, how these small towns were laid out on the, on the northern edge of the, of the Sea of Galilee. These guys, are, they're from the hood. They're from the neighborhood. They're from the, the area there. And they know Jesus. They know who Jesus of Nazareth is. They've, they've already walked him a little bit, and they've already had some Q&A with him. Again, you go to John chapter 1 and see that. Have you ever gone to church and felt like, there's something here? There's something there for me today? And there's something in the hearts of these, these strong, forearmed fishermen who move wooden ships through the water with, with, with oars There's something in them that's starting to to crumble, that's starting to change. These are blue-collar, no-nonsense men, men that work hard for a living, but men that will find themselves awake at night wondering, is this all there is? What's the meaning of life? Is there something more? And something has been, been gnawing away at their hearts and our Bible translations will say that, that this Jesus guy, this carpenter, it says carpenter is the translation of most of our Bibles, and yet that word that's used there is actually the Greek word tekton, and it basically, basically means someone who shapes or someone who molds with his hands. It could be a contractor, a mason, or a, or, or a handyman. And, and just as an aside, if you were to visit the, the, the northern edge of Galilee, in that high, 
entire region, you'll notice something. There's no woods. There's no forests. There's no lumber mills. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear that when it came time to build the temple and to build David's, uh, David's castle and things like that, they would send away to other nations, to Lebanon. Lebanon had great forests, and that's where they get their wood from. You know what is scattered all across the region of Galilee? What it's known for? Rock quarries. And that's what it's known for, and, and things that are built and shaped out of rock. Jesus is a tecton. He works with his hands. He's a shaper of rock and of granite. And I don't know about you, but if you spent the last 20, 25 years of your life working with tools of those days, with your hands, you don't have toothpick arms. You aren't the, the little skinny, scrawny Jesus that, that, that's often depicted in the, in, the, in the coloring sheets that I had in Sunday school. He's been teaching the type of teaching that makes sense to the heart of a dock worker, a fisherman, someone that works hard. So when he's on their beach and their shore and he sees them and he says, it's time to follow me, I'm going to change not just your destination, but your destiny. He's got street credibility with them. He says, here's what it takes. Because you see, a citizen of the kingdom, and the Bible has a word for this, it's, they're, they're called disciples. Disciples is another word for, for a Christ follower, or a Jesus follower, someone who follows, follows Jesus. A citizen of his kingdom, a disciple, we're called to some things. The first thing we're called to is we're called to follow. We're called to follow. And that's the call that Jesus gives to these guys. It's the first choice that you and I have to make where we step out of us being in charge and we step under his rule, under his reign, under his kingship, under his authority, under him as Lord. And again, in that day and age, a king had absolute sovereignty, absolute rights over everything that you had. Are you truly ready to leave your kingdom and step into his? Where you say, whatever you command, I'm under your kingship. They would get this far more than we do because they understood that. Back in that day, a king never posted a decree that you went up and you said, well, you know, I don't really like that, so I'm not going to do it. No, the king had authority. They followed the king. If not, it oftentimes cost you your head. You don't get to argue with the king. You don't get to, to choose and pick what you will do and, and what you won't take in someone's kingship. You're under his rule, under his reign. And let me be the first to say that there's, there's many pages in this Bible that I wrestle with, and so do you if you're honest. Am I in my kingdom or I am in his kingdom? In my kingdom, I get to pick and choose what I want, what I think is fair, what I think is correct, what I think is accurate for, accurate for today, this day and age. Or am I under his rule and his reign? And the stuff that I don't get, the stuff that, that I don't like, the stuff that, that I no longer have a choice in, I have to follow because I pledged allegiance to my king. And so we have to choose whether we're going to follow under his absolute rule, reign, sovereignty, authority, not picking and choosing, but saying, yes, Lord, I'm in your kingdom. I said two weeks ago that, that this Jesus that we encounter in Mark's gospel, and we're only halfway through chapter one, will never be added to your life. He doesn't walk on the shore and look at fishermen and say, hey, guys, you want to add me to your life? If you just say a little prayer right now, you'll go to heaven. And they're like, whoa, how long is the prayer? Well, just 30 seconds. Oh, okay, we'll do it. 
And so we'll, we'll, we'll bow your heads, just fold your hands, close your eyes, say, dear God, I ask you to my heart, be my savior forever, amen. Oh man, you guys are good, you're, you're, you're in the kingdom, see you later. You don't find that in the gospels. You will never find it. You'll never find Jesus going up to someone and say, just say a little prayer. Too often times, I think we, we try to, in, in trying to bring people in the kingdom, we try to, to water it down and try to make it so simple. Jesus said there's a cost to discipleship. He said, if anyone follows me, they must pick up their cross. And we see the cross as a, as a symbol of Christianity and something, you know, you've know, you got to understand what the, what, when, when Jesus said that to first century guys who had seen the highways lined with people dying on the cross, what that meant to them, you've got to pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. That's what Jesus says, not just some little trite prayer. When you come to the end of, of the book of Mark, you're going to come down to two options. Either you have to get out of your life and allow him to take all of it, or you're going to have to get him once and for all out of your life. There's, there's no middle ground. There is no dual citizenship. When it comes to what Jesus is offering, this is an all-in moment. We're called to follow. We're called, number two, to, to leave behind. It means that stuff is going to be left behind in his kingdom. Sometimes it may be good stuff. You have to leave your desires, your wants, your thoughts, your dreams, but all that you have has to be surrendered to him. It can't be in his kingdom where, where I say, well, yeah, okay, this part is yours, Lord, but this over here, I've got this fence around this. This is what is still mine. No, it's got to be all in under his lordship. The apostle Paul talks about this in, in the book of Romans and in the book of Ephesians. He says, you've got to get rid of the old self. The old self has to die. You need to bury it. You need to leave it behind. And these guys, they left their boats, they left their nets, they left their father in the boat, they left their jobs to follow Jesus. And as soon as he says the kingdom of God is near, do you want to be in the kingdom? Both here and now, a position, I'm under the rule and the reign of Christ, and one day a destination where I'll be. He said it's near, he said it's about repenting, it's about that turning 180 degrees, not just feeling sorry, for what you've done in life. You know what frustrates me about this passage in Mark? I'm like, man, you left the good parts out. There's a great illustration here, Mark. I mean, you could, you could have told the story. You know, I love stories. He's, there's a story he could have told here. In fact, write in your notes there, just write next to it, write Luke 5. Write Luke 5 in your notes. This is one of the coolest and earliest miracles, and Mark left it out. This is a story where Peter, James, and John, they're, they're in the boats out fishing all night long. Andrew's with them too. And fishing is hard work the way they were doing it there. Sometimes fishing's hard work today. And they're out there, they haven't gotten anything. It's not because they're bad fishermen. These guys were professional fishermen. This was just a bad night, and they got skunked. They know this place. They know the Sea of Galilee, also called Lake Gennesaret. They, they understood it. They knew where the river flows down. The Jordan River flows down from the north. They knew the shoals. They knew where all the rocks were, all the breaks were. And they tried everything all night long and came up empty. 
And again, these weren't just recreational fishermen. This was their livelihood. This is what they depended upon to feed their wife and their children. In the morning, they've come to shore, and they're, and they're mending their nets, and, and Peter, uh, they sees Jesus there teaching. And they come up, and, and, and Jesus looks around at Peter and says, you know, there's a big crowd here kind of pressing towards the shore. Can I get in your boat? And you just push out a little bit, because then my voice will carry across the water, and more people will be able to hear me. And what's Peter going to say? Oh, it's been a long night. I'm going I'm to go home. No thanks. And Peter... They're in the boat, trying to keep the boat steady, has this rare look at the back of Jesus' head as he's preaching, as he's teaching. And he sees the faces of the people, the people that he knows that live in the town there and in the surrounding towns, listening to Jesus. You see, this is that story, the story where, where when Jesus is done teaching, he turns around to Peter and he says, okay, Peter, throw the net over there. And Peter's got 101 reasons why, no. You're a great teacher. You're a great rabbi. You know, that's your gig. I'm the fisherman. I've been out all night. I know this, this, this is useless. There's no reason to throw that net over. He's got all these reasons besides which I'm tired. I've been doing it all night. And Jesus just stares at him. And so Peter says, okay, because you said so, we'll do it. And the net is so full of fish that he can't pull it in. And James and John have to come down and help get the catch in the boat. That's a great story, but Mark leaves it out. We're going to look at why in a minute. This is that moment where there's a little tapping on Peter's heart. It's been going on. He realizes, he knows who's in the boat. And he says to Jesus, Please get out of my boat. I'm not worthy to have you here. He realized who he was. He realized who, who Jesus was. But Mark doesn't tell that story. Why? Because number three, a citizen of the kingdom has a task. We're called to a task, and you might want to write out next to it, it's all about others. Or if you really want to be vulnerable, you could put down there, it's not about me. It's all about others. Jesus says, again, these, these words in red, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Your life from now on will belong to me and it will be about others. It'll, you'll be involved in a new kingdom. You'll be involved in something greater than you could ever muster up on your own. You're going to be involved in populating heaven. You're going to be used by God himself. You're going to be called to focus on other people. And I love Peter. He's got great stories, but he, but he doesn't write himself. Now, last season, we spent a long time looking at his first letter, which was we saw at the end there wasn't actually penned by him. He dictated it to Silas. Silas wrote it down for him. And his book about Jesus is this one that we're studying right now. He dictated, he told the things that he wanted in it to, to Mark. Peter was Mark's source. Doesn't it make sense? Let's tell this about who Jesus is and, and how he called this fisherman. I mean, this is a great testimony, isn't it? You know, if we were sitting down with someone going through, through con, uh, continuing witnessing training or, or any of those many things, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great testimony. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Not that one. This isn't about me. 
And he leaves his story, his transformation that day when he was coming up and finally understood that his life was, was empty. He leaves that story out of this text because he realized, I'm called to a task. It's not about telling and making me look good. This is a call to others. Let's just showcase Jesus and move on. You see, when we step into the kingdom of God, it changes not only our destination, but it changes our, changes our destiny. It changes how we live our lives, not just where we're going. I've said it before, and I'll, I'll say it again. There is no dual citizenship. You cannot remain in both kingdoms. The Jesus that's on these pages will never be something you add to your life to, to make your life blessed and, and better so that you'll get to heaven someday. That, that concept isn't in Scripture. He says, I'll take all of it, or I want none of it. I want you to be under my rule and reign. We're called to a task. Folks, we're only halfway through chapter 1, and, and we're already coming into conflict with this Jesus. We're halfway through this, and, and what is growing in us is, is growing in the nation of Israel. They're wondering, who is this man that is demanding everything from me and changes what I'm to do, changes how I'm supposed to see my stuff? What is this kingdom? So Peter says, get my story out of there. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. We're called to follow. We're called to surrender. We're called to a task. So who is this self-proclaimed God that, that demands everything? We'll finish with these verses that we're going to pick up on and look at in more detail next week. Verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also what? They were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So Jesus goes into the synagogue in Capernaum and when he's, he's teaching this demon-possessed man shrieks out and without any struggle, without any magic spells or incantations or anything like that, Jesus just says, come out of him. He commands the demon and the demon leaves. The dude hits the floor. The church is like, wow. Wait till I tell my friends about this. You should have been there today. What is this? We've never heard teaching like this before. We've never, we've never seen power like this. What is this that even the demons recognize his power and his authority and understand, and they obey him, they flee? And Mark gives us a story. The one who calls you is this God. The one who calls you has this power. Two words for Jesus that you could put there, power and compassion. We've just seen a glimpse of his power here in the synagogue in Capernaum. And the next week we're going to delve deeper into the next story which talks about his compassion. And we'll see who this guy is 
that until the wee hours of the morning in the following scriptures here is with those who are hurting and broken. And Mark realizes we're only halfway through chapter one. It's a God that's called you to be all in. He assumes you're going to read the rest of the book, and he assumes that you're going to follow the pages and, and that you're going to know who this God is and what God demands. Mark says that's who he is. The people are asking, what is this? Mark's saying it's not a matter of what, it's who. It's who. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, in verses 21 through 28, it's, there's an implicit warning here. This is going to be different than you think. I don't think these people went to church and to the synagogue that morning expecting this. This totally blew them away. And whatever you expect a journey with Jesus is, I promise you that it will be different than what you think. And Mark paints the picture. This first time we, we see Jesus in church here in his gospel, Jesus wrecks the place. You know, they don't know what to think. The first time in, G in church, Jesus does not fit their definition of religion and church because he's not inviting you to church. He's not inviting you to religion. It's a who that you follow. The people think that it's a what. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God has invaded earth with a purpose, and that purpose is you. That purpose is to rescue you. That purpose is to bring this, this euangelion, this, this good news to you. You being in the kingdom of God, your old self, your old way, your old struggles, your old desires, your old guilt, your old shame, your old hurt, gone. Under a new kingdom, a new rule, a new value, a new worth, a new significance, a new purpose, a new destiny, because this changes your destination. This is good news. And folks, we're just 28 verses in. Thank you for joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry at Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at sv. MIN.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.